0: Okay, would you
1: prefer? Would you prefer we share the publisher, the publisher link, or the Amazon link? Uh,
0: publisher link,
1: I think. Okay, all uh, right. I'm going uh, well, to make a only in the sense you know.
0: that in that case, uh, Jeff Bezos doesn't get as much money.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay with that. Hold on,
2: let me tweet it.
1: Welcome to our next episode of NIA Cast, everyone. This is Manamo joined by Dr. Asal Rad and the great Ambassador John Limbert to discuss his newest book, Believers, Love, and Death in Tehran. Ambassador Limbert is the former Deputy Assistant Secretary of State for Iran and the State Department's Bureau of Near Eastern Affairs. He is a veteran U.S. diplomat and a former official at the U.S. Embassy in Tehran, where he was held captive during the Iran hostage crisis. And, of course, Ambassador Limbert is is a board
2: member at NIAC, so welcome.
0: Thank you and greetings to all, all NIAC friends and colleagues.
2: Thank you for joining us, Ambassador Limbert. Uh, I just wanted to give a brief summary of the book. So it's a fascinating spy novel set in Iran in the years following the revolution. And through the book's central character and protagonist, Niloufar, we get an inside view of political complexities and intrigues on both the Iranian and American side. And while the story really begins with the U.S. embassy seizure of November 1979 and the crisis that ensues, it covers a longer timeline into 1980s Iran and the establishment of the Islamic Republic. And what I really liked about it is while it has all of this context and grounding, it comes back to the present and provides us a look into really our current political context. So the, looking at that, the first thing that I wanted to ask was, you know, this is a, obviously a fictional book. And there's a note at the very beginning that says this is fiction, you know, all the names, all these things are fictional, but it's based on this very real historical context. Um, And I thought, could you tease out for us just a little bit how much of it, you know, is fact and how much of it is fiction in the sense that as a reader, maybe someone who's not as familiar with the history, what do you think they should take? As the the historical part that is actually accurate, and then what is you know sort of the creative liberty that's being given to the book.
0: Well, I should say uh, I should say first of all, Asal, th- uh, thank you for your thank you for your, your question, and thank you for your kind words about the uh, about the book as well. Um, let me say, th- let me also mention that uh, I uh, my, my co-author, uh, Ambassador Mark Grossman, unfortunately is not able to be with us today, but. Uh, he came. He came up with the idea originally, and came mm-hmm. to me about two, or three years, two years ago, and said, "What if, what if, uh, someone there had been a foreign service officer who was in Tehran but was not captured um, on November fourth, nineteen seventy-nine? Do you think we have a, a story from that? Do we have a novel?" And I said, "Of course we do." And I also said to him, "Where have you been all these years?" Uh, because <laughs> this was sort of this was a story waiting to be written. I think waiting to be waiting to be written. Uh, and from there, uh, we built the story. We we built the story around uh, two, main two main protagonists, two main protagonists, Nilufar Hartman, who is this, who is Iranian American woman, a young foreign service officer, and she arrives in Tehran. The night before the embassy is taken over, or, or, or actually early in the morning of that morning, it spends the night at her mother's Iranian mother's family's uh, family's house. And before she can go into work the next day, she learns that the embassy has been attacked and the staff uh, the, the the staff captured. Um, she was originally sent to Iran by um, a very senior State Department officers. Um, uh, Alan Porter, uh, who uh, canceled her original assignment, her original first assignment, which was to go as a visa officer to Kingston, Jamaica. To Kingston, Jamaica. And he looked at this and said, this makes no sense. Uh, Iran is in chaos. We need we need somebody there. Like Niloufar, there are 30 40,000 uh, people waiting for visas at the, at the embassy, they need help. So he he asks her to go, and it's uh, or orders, you could say, orders politely, orders her to go. Orders her to go. Uh, and she goes. And when this happens, and it, when it becomes clear that uh, the embassy is not, the embassy staff is not going to be freed um, anytime soon, uh, because Ayatollah Khomeini has, who is really the only person with the Power to stop this, to resolve this crisis, uh, has endorsed the takeover. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at that point, Border says, "Oh my God! Now we don't know. We need to know what's going on in Iran. We have nobody there. We're, we're we're blind." And he asks her or orders her to stay in Iran and be his eyes and ears. And that's really the first and second parts of the uh, of the story. And she, but the story is fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the problem is that a lot of readers um, don't, you know, are not of our age. I mean, they they don't remember these events. And so uh, it's difficult sometimes to separate the fact from the, f- the facts and the fiction. But uh, that's what a good historical novel does. If you're familiar with uh, the books of Hilary Mantel or uh, Robert Graves, Uh, These are very much fiction, but based on history, based on what happened. So that there are um, real historical figures in here. And we include in the book a chronology of real world events. So um, we have her, for example, um, involved in Mm Iran-Contra, in the middle of Iran-Contra. And we have her in some interesting conversations with people involved on the Iranian side of Iran Iran Contra we made these up we made up the conversations and we put her we put her there the same way some of the things of related to the hostage cri- related to the hostage crisis to the um civil strife that was going on in Iran the political battles that were going on in Iran to what happened in Halab in Halabcha in 19 March of 1988 uh sort of, we Made her a kind of Forrest Gump character. If you're familiar with Forrest Gump, who was always in the middle of it was this fictional character, but always there when something was happening. Um, the present, uh, the part about the, the the part happening in the present, that is again completely made up we made up the groups we made up the names of the various you know the uh, 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 all the all the people we made up the situ we made up the, situ- uh, the situations and we even we made up the uh, in the book there are messages she ends up staying in iran and she ends up staying for 8 years mm-hmm. uh, doing different things, working in uh, Ayatollah Beheshti's office uh, working in Hashemi Rafsanjani's office 3 years Uh, as a member of the morals police um and this was really fun to write because um if you think of you know what would be the most unlikely place to look for an american spy um in iran in the 1980s it would be the the gash the, 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 the 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 morals police i mean these people were the uh you know Considered by many to be the dregs of society, the dregs of society, the most brutal, the most ar- the most difficult, the most uh, the most arrogant, um, and that's what she does. That's what she does because that's her way of um, carrying out her mission. That's her, her, the, the way she she carries out her mission. So she ends up staying in Iran in eight years through all of these through all of these events. Um, so we put her in. We we said okay if. If she, if she had been in Hashemi Rafsinjani's office at the time they were talking about Iran-Contra, what would have happened? And that's that's where writing a book like this is so much fun. Um, you know, if there had been an undersecretary in Washington who was working with her, what would he have said? What would he have asked her? How would he have helped her? What would the relationship Have been, and as any novelist does, uh, you draw on your experience. You draw on um, on what you uh, on what you know. For example, there's a reference in there to uh, to Moby Dick, um, which we all know in Washington as the Kebab Place, but in pre pre revolutionary Tehran, it was a very upscale sandwich shop. Which I'm, which I was very popular. I'm told among students at uh, Alborz College, Uh, the famous Alborz College. So these are the kinds of these are the kinds of things that you know that you do. And uh, the the fun part, I I should say, this thing was fun to write. Really, it seems that way because it's, it's,
2: it's fun to I read hope, so i would assume are, it would be fun to write yeah. it's fun to i read. hope
0: it was fun to read because it was fun yes. to write. because you know it uh, all the the things you you know the things you know things that we knew about washington the things we knew about um uh iran i mean parts of it are very painful but you know some of the events are very are, are very painful um but it, it, using what we know and then taking this character and and the other characters Um, And putting them into those, uh, putting those into those situations uh, is a way it's, it's, it's a lot more fun, I find, than writing a straight history.
1: I agree. Well, you know, we're talking about the characters. And so actually what I found most fascinating is that this book was written from the point of view of a woman and in a favorable way really explores the role of the women, you know, both in the Iranian revolution, but also in the U.S. Foreign Service. And I think one of my favorite lines in the novel was, if the women were running Iran, we wouldn't be in the mess we are. So I guess my question is, what <laughs> propelled you to want to run it, write it from the point of view of a female?
0: Um. I, that's a good question. That's a, that's a good question. As soon as we started, we, we, we almost immediately said the, her- the hero has to be a woman. Um, and I think it comes from different sources. I mean, you know, you you, you, want, you ask any author, what are the sources of your inspiration? Why did you do this? Um, uh, I think it came from um, experience, experience of some very strong uh, Iranian women. We've dealt, and you'll see that the characters on the Iranian side—not only Niloufar, but her mother Farzaneh, her friend Nazanin, and others—are um, very strong and, and very. I, uh, uh, how, how can I say? Um, very resilient kinds yeah. of kinds of people. Uh, that I, I should I say that that's an experience from my uh, Iranian family uh perhaps it is <laughs> per, per, perhaps it is uh, does my daughter recognize herself in uh, uh in in Niloufar perhaps she does i don't know uh, uh, i don't know but these are the you know these are obviously sources of um uh, inspiration ambassador Grossman himself is the is the uh, father of a very strong strong daughter Um, and this is, you know, so it had to be, you know, it it was woman. And this is just, you know, again, this is, this is experience.
1: It's, I think it was the reason that that immediately popped out to me was there were two, two parts. One was despite, you know, you said that these women are strong and you preserve their sense of agency, despite sort of being barked at by men the entire time. You know, there's this, this line that comes up over and over again where this is not really a request, it's an order, <laughs> but it doesn't take the agency from the women, which is what I really appreciated. And I think, actually, the reason I was sort of, like, taken aback, like, pleasantly taken aback that this was written from the point of view of what was woman is because uh, I did a book review for Shirin Ebadi back in the day, maybe 10 years ago, about The Golden Cage, and it was written from which the perspective... The Golden Cage... So it was also sort of a historical fiction about the revolution, but it only followed the stories of three men, three brothers. Oh, and okay. so and so to read it, read sort of, you know, a similar take in a way from a woman was just incredibly refreshing. So as an Iranian woman, I would like to say thank you for that.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, you know, why is it, you know, you, you look at Iran today, uh, and when I said, that If the women were in charge, this would not be the mess that it, the mess the mess that it is. That was that was from the heart.
2: I, you know, I tend to agree. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little we're a little biased potentially, but we we did definitely agree with that sentiment. And I would say, you know, th- and I also very much appreciated that it was um, so many of the central characters were female and really driving the story. And as Mona pointed out, with their agency, I think in. Um, That's missing not only in all of our sort of histories, right? Like the way that histories are told very often is with male protagonists, is with like the the history of great men, as they like to call it. And so it was nice to have a a perspective, whether it was fictionalized or not, but where women were central to that history, because especially in the case of Iran and the revolution, women were absolutely central to that. And it was interesting because in the novel, when you're depicting the Iranian figures, such as Beheshti, um, they are cognizant of that fact you know they're very much playing into that fact there's one part where Beheshti goes to you know a group of women um and that's basically the point that he's trying to make is we can't have this revolution without the women we can't you know you are our sisters in this fight and that kind of mentality was very much true of the revolution and everything that's happened afterwards but is often missing from the storytelling and especially in the contemporary politics I feel like you don't see women that much so it was nice to have that
0: that we were very concerned. We were very concerned that we catch what what I would call the vibe of both Tehran and Washington uh, in those days. Uh, uh, in those days, and I hope we've done so. So, what I if if, if we have, I'm very I'm very gratified.
1: Yeah, that's great. Um, Sweet, so uh, just you know, sort of pivoting a tiny bit. Um, I wanted to touch on the you know, there's part of the story where you describe the American shootdown of the Iranian passenger plane in 1988, which I'm sure you know, is kind of a sensitive topic for many Iranians, and probably more so today because of the January shootdown of the Ukrainian airline. Um, Can you tell us a little bit sort of about the distribution of blame in the retelling? Because I think it suggests that it partially occurred as a result of an IRGC inside job. And so that we, you know, Asal and I talked about that. And we're like, let's just ask Ambassador Limbert.
0: No, yeah. that's, that is, that's pure fiction. But rem- we were told uh, by a, a very experienced author uh, who read generously among the friends who very generously read early versions of this manuscript uh, that we needed... We needed more villainy. We need that it, it's mm. villains that sell books. Uh, think of James Bond. <laughs> I mean, what, who do you remember? Doctor No, Goldfinger, you know Smursh characters, Eva the that ter- that woman in uh, in, um, in Doctor. I mean, that's, that's it's villains that sell the villains that sell books. So we we took our main villain and built up his character. And made him responsible for this, uh, um, uh, uh, for these, or partially responsible for these events. But that's fiction. That's, that's completely made up. So I hope nobody takes that one liter- uh, uh, takes that one literally, because we wanted to relate it to the tragedy that occurred that uh, occurred at the end of the uh, the end of the second part of the novel.
2: Oh, that's makes so interesting sense. the way that you say it. So, that part of it is fictional, but to, to sort of play up this notion, obviously, in a novel to have a villain absolutely makes sense because it's interesting where I think in a lot of the novel where you're presenting these political complexities, there are clearly things that are happening that are atrocities. You know, I mean, you're describing a- atrocities that happen at the hands of the Islamic Republic. Um, but there's also sort of uh, a distribution of blame there where it's the US facilitating that happening or where you have the case of when we're covering the Iran-Iraq war, you know, the atrocities at the hands of Saddam. But it seems like, uh, and I really liked this, that there wasn't an attempt to sort of just paint one side as this is the villain and this is the good guy, but it was, look, these are this is how complex these political situations are. There are these horrible things happening. Innocent people are suffering. But there are so many complexities and characters that are that are facilitating these things to happening. So it was interesting to see that in the the fictionalized part of the story, you try to create a sort of clear villain. Like this is the bad guy. We're supposed to not like this character, and obviously you don't because what he does is horrific to the characters that you grow to that you grow to care about.
0: Right. Exactly. Uh, exactly. But the others are complex. I mean, uh, as uh, uh, you know, Niloufar realizes. That she has blood on her hands. That she's been involved in um, in a lot of mis. She's responsible for a lot of misery. Now, maybe you don't like the groups that are being suppressed. Maybe you oppose them, but that doesn't. In her, that in in her mind, that does not justify the extent of what was done to these people how, how how many were murdered imprisoned tortured forced into exile um, uh, and all of these things uh, uh, and all of these things and there's where she has her uh, without giving away the story this is where she has uh, you know her big crisis mm-hmm. uh, and basically tells and and sort of stands up to Porter I mean up until that time she's been the you know the very obedient young, foreign service officer and it, when he tells her to do something she she does it because that's the uh, that's the psychology that's the that va- those are the values that she has jo- of the organization that she's part of but and at one point she says i can't do this anymore we have to stop we have to stop this because this has gotten out of con- this is this has gotten out of control and, and it's- it's, she never stops she never forgets that, you know, even down to the present day when she she has to go back. And she said, "How can I go back there? When I did so much misery, how can I face my family?" There's there's a part in there. I hope this rings true to you. Where she said, "You know what I what I appreciated is that my family never asked what I did. Hmm. They never judged me for what I did. For uh uh, uh for what I did." Uh, And she said, you know, she said that that's what saved, that's what uh, in the end saved me.
2: And I like, you know, I don't, to your point, I don't want to give away any of the story, but there are, there's, you know, an Iranian counterpart, I think, in that, in the character of Nazanin, where I think Nazanin has, even though she's a peripheral character, she has a fascinating character arc um, where you really get a look at someone who suffered under uh, the Shah, but then also had sort of realization of what had happened after the revolution. And so her character arc, I think, in a way um, parallels Niloufar's on the on the American side, where Nazanin is also sort of following out, uh, carrying out orders and following what she's being told. But that doesn't mean that these characters aren't questioning the things that are happening on the ground, and they're not changing as those things are happening on the ground. So, you know, talking about Niloufar um, and, and sort of her her growth, her character's growth throughout the story, she has these really interesting quotes and these really interesting sort of ideas as if like she's reflecting the reader's thoughts about the political situation. And then she has one quote where she's talking about the hostage crisis, and you know she's just really uh, almost you know disparaging the Islamic Republic because she says they're creating this crisis, they're prolonging it, and then you know, now they want to end it when it's not useful to them anymore. And it made me think of our current political situation, to where, you know, we're sort of in a crisis with Iran of in in arguably of our own making, by quitting the deal and putting us on a path to conflict. Um, and now here, the United States is presenting a case to the UN to try and curtail the very problem that we created. So, you know, I, I wondered when you were writing it, like, A, what did what do you think about the parallel of that kind of an idea, how that's what happened with the, the hostage crisis, how the islamic republic created that crisis for themselves is do you see a parallel in the crisis that we have now and was was there sort of an intentional these what are they called uh easter eggs you know these sort of intentional places where you were making a political commentary that was almost meant to reflect certain parallels
0: oh no this we were very deliberate this is not a this is not an analysis of u.s iran relations uh, this is not a an article. I mean, one of the things that we had to do when we were when when Ambassador Grossman and I were writing the book is we had to constantly uh, make sure that this did not sound like a State Department briefing memo.
2: <laughs> it certainly does not.
0: <laughs> and, no, but it was difficult because Sounds
2: like a thriller. Bet-
0: between us we have about between us we have about sixty five years. Of experience of doing exactly of writing exactly those those kinds of things those those kinds of things you know which are sort of on the one hand this on the other hand that and you know this is this and certain kinds of language uh, uh, that you use um, so we must have gone through about fourteen or fifteen different versions hmm. of, the manu- of the manuscript uh, and one of the uh, major tasks that we set ourselves. Was to get rid of that kind of language. Uh, uh, get rid of that kind of language. The other was to make it so that you would read this and you couldn't tell what I had written and what Ambassador Grossman had written. That it was. It, that it was. You certainly. It was, you, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was. We wanted it to be uniform. Uh, for example, someone said, "Well, did you do the Iran part and did he do the Washington part?" I said, "No, no. We both we both did both. We basically traded chapters." back and forth, uh, worked on each other's uh, language, projected it on the screen with a, using, a, using a, a computer and went through it line by line by line. You don't get everything, obviously. There are things even today. Today I look at it and I say, oh my gosh, we should have said it a different way. But uh, that was the idea. But this is, remember, this is not a um, political essay. I
1: think now, I
0: think obviously there's a lot of politics in it because it's history. I mean, there's history, right. and politics in it, uh, and because it involves a situation that affects a lot of people today, and a lot of people care about these things very much, uh, but it is not, you know, our, our goal was, let's tell a good story.
1: Well, it's a good story. You certainly did and, that.
0: Oh, thank you.
1: It's. Uh, I, get, I think it's funny. It's interesting that you bring up memos and all of this because there's actually a lot of talk in the book also about the education of American diplomats, not just sort of the internal training at the State Department, but also at international relations programs. Uh, in Washington, D.C., and there's this line that was in the prologue, and immediately I was like, it's a little bit of a jab, um, about Mila Faire teaching her undergraduates a humane version of international relations, completely different from her own bitter experience. And I think I have some strong ideas about this because I'm a graduate of Georgetown's School of Foreign Service. Okay, But I was, so I was kind of curious, I mean, do you feel like there are aspects of the education that is missing for diplomats, either, you know, at these big IR schools or even internally, um, and particularly when it comes to countries like Iran that we don't have relations with?
0: Uh, well, again, this is really, you know, it's interesting you saw that. Uh, uh, you saw that. I think I mentioned it also when I talk about her entering foreign service class and how mm-hmm. a lot of them had studied either at Georgetown or uh, SAIS um, or Fletcher, I think some others had, had, been to, had been to Fletcher, and I call international relations a nebulous subject. I think I called it a nebulous subject. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, maybe that's, that's probably my own prejudice. I'm, I'm trained as a historian. Uh, Yay. And, and so, you know, every time, <laughs> every time anyone asks me a question, I always say, let's go back to the beginning. <laughs> And so you end up back at the time of Cyrus the Great or the Old Testament or some such thing, or the Greeks or whatever it is, uh, uh, whenever it is. Uh, but it's, you know, it. one thing is clear, and it, it does come out in the book, I must say. Again, our best attempts to fictionalize, fiction, uh, fictionalize it, but you can't help putting your own views in there. Is that, is that the, and I'm glad you noticed this, that is that the... Um, The lack of of a knowledge of history um, has led, or uh, a distorted view of history Mm. uh, has led both sides uh, into some very uh, negative territory, uh, very negative territory. Uh, Somebody once said, Americans uh, have forgotten all of their history, and Iranians haven't forgotten any of their history.
1: <laughs> that was the perfect <laughs> soundtrack. That was perfect. That was perfect.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I really like that that line that uh, Americans have forgotten all their history, and, and Iranians just you know sort of refuse to forget any of it. Um, and the nod to history, I'm also a trained historian, which is why, funny enough, when I've done, um, lectures for our foreign service officers about, you know, they ask me, hey, in an hour and a half, can you do an overview of Iran sure. uh, for our foreign service officers? <laughs> right. And I always say, sure, you know, I can take my best stab at thousands of years of history in, in an hour and a half, but I always jokingly say, I'm like, I can't start, contemporary Iran without you know going back at least 500 years I'm like it's just and that's my ongoing joke I'm like I I understand that this is supposed to be a very brief version but you really can't understand the context of today unless you go back you know Mm -hmm. honestly several centuries and understand how we get to the place we get to today so I really appreciated that sort of nod to um the significance of historical context in understanding
0: well, I do talk about, but, you know, in the, in the context of the story, uh, I try to get this idea that, uh, you know, h- how this affected Nilufar and how this affected, um, uh, what was his, uh, his name? Bruce Bayh. Bay. Growing up in these Iranian-American families where the older generation talked about these things all the time, you know. Who I'm sure we this. can relate.
2: Did, pardon? <laughs> I said, I'm sure we can, me and Monica can relate. to so yes, yeah, the kind,
0: <laughs> kind of Dye John napoleon sort of, sort of things. I mean, they were just, you know, they 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 never stopped arguing, you know, who was responsible for this? What did the British do? What did the Russians do? What did Mossadegh do? What did the, the Shah do? So forth and so on. And um, I've seen, again, because I see this in, in my own family, and uh, for most of the, the next generation, um, they, they they don't care much about this. You know, this is the these are kind of these are the older generation, and they're they're uh, obsessed with this thing. But um, I I put it in deliberately that in fact, for for some, someone like Nilufar or uh, Ruspe, um, they were fascinated, and they said, you know, there's something there's there's something really uh, really interesting here. The other part that you might have noticed was when the when the two of them are so become so disillusioned after halapcha. And Rusbe says, you know, maybe our parents and gra- our parents were right <laughs> about all of these things they said. We we thought they were uh, we thought they were delusional when they talked about conspiracies. Um, and how the world was out to get us, uh, to get us Iranians. But just maybe they were, maybe, maybe there was something there. It's sort of key, they, they both kind of end up sort of reconsidering uh, the assumptions that they'd always lived with.
2: That particular part of the book, I think, at least for me, where um, the attack is being described is, is very heavy. And it's very, you know, I mean, it's incredibly well written because it's so hard to read. Because it's, um, you know, the way that the the that that history is painted is also so you really feel what the characters are feeling. So you can understand why they sort of have this moment of of reckoning with their own roles in in how things have played out the way they've played out and why, you know, again, I don't want to give away too much, but why they start to your point questioning things in terms of how their parents had thought about events and how their parents had sort of taught them things and, and their questioning assumptions. I think for me personally, it felt like I could identify at least with the characters where you know, to your point, I felt like I was always getting a history lesson from my family. Like we weren't talking about, right. we weren't talking about normal things. It was just no. a history lesson constantly. That, that's
0: right. That's right. And, and the funny thing is uh, the people who are doing this are not People, people didn't study history as an academic subject. I mean, the people who really told, who talked about the history were engineers, doctors, you know, heart surgeons, economists. But everyone talked about history, yeah, all the time, all the time. But as an, academic, in, think- as an academic subject, it had no stand. It had, uh, it had no standing. Uh, and when I told people that I studied history, people of Iran would look at me and said, "Oh, oh, not medicine, not engineering. Uh, uh, you know, what are you going to do with that?" <laughs> that is like it?
1: the most traditionally Persian parent thing to say.
0: Indeed, <laughs> indeed it is. In, 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 <laughs> indeed it is. But at the same time, everybody yeah. is concerned with it, and everyone has a version of uh, uh, um, everyone has uh, a version of it. And it comes out. Uh, uh, and it, it comes out. But the, the thing about the interesting part about um, Halabja Hala, Hala is we did do some some serious research there, mm-hmm. uh, including with the um, with the Kurdistan uh, regional office mm-hmm. in Washington, which every year in March puts on an event to mark uh, the anniversary of what happened the, the events at Halab the events at Halabjad. For example, the, the incident of the the the, the baby
2: mm-hmm.
0: that is adopted that happened. These mm. children there were a group of children who were brought to Iran and were adopted by Iranian parents, uh, raised as Iranians, and then later on uh, I think using in many cases DNA testing were able to find their original relatives, but to all intents and purposes, they were they were they were Iranian. We met I, I met some of them um, at these events, and it's very moving, very very moving experience. So you know you know that you see these things and you want to work them in. But I'm I'm very pleased, you know, because I'm I was I'm very concerned about the reaction of um, Iranians to this book.
1: I, I mean, honestly, that was sort of my next question. Um, and I, but I wanted to preface it with saying that the book even opened with a lot of love, both for Americans and Iranians. Um, you dedicated it to FSOs, but then also noted, you know, we also want to honor Iranians who have endured loss. And so I guess my question is, what, what kind of takeaways do you hope Americans, maybe with less knowledge about Iran, will have? And what takeaways do you hope the Iranians will have, either the Iranian-Americans or Iranians in Iran?
0: I, I really don't. That's that's a, that, that. I'm waiting to find out. Fair. Uh, the, second, the, the, uh, the second question. The second takeaway. Again, this is not a. This is not written as a polemic or as a historical. You know, as a bit of history or, polit- or, or, or politics. I've done that kind of writing, but this is different. This is a, this is a good story, and I want people to say, couldn't put it down. Love the characters. Love this. Like that. Um, and that would be fine enough for uh, fine enough for me. Um, as far as the you know, as far as the Iranians, I mean, have I? My question is, you know, I I hope I haven't misread the culture. I have you know misread people, misread things, uh, or you know portrayed things in a in a negative way in a uh, 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 in a negative way. Um, I suspect. Uh, that there will be some people uh, who will not like this book at all.
1: (laughs) Uh, That's okay. Everyone's
0: going to have an opinion. That's that's what you have. I I do not want to be, I do not want to be, on the other hand, I do not want to be Salman Rushdie. Uh,
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, do you, would you, do you think this is something that would ever be translated into Persian?
0: That's a good question. I have no objection to it. I think it would be, would be, would be fun to do, but, uh, I don't. Th- I, I, to the best of my knowledge, my my guess would be my best guess would be that the authorities in Tehran might have difficulty um, authorizing it.
1: That's uh, fair. There, I guess they'll there, have there to wait an for
0: underground. There could be an underground.
1: That's right. I was going to say they're just going to have to wait for the pirated, dubbed movie version of this.
0: That's right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> who,
0: <laughs> who plays Nilofer in the movie? That's what I've always wanted.
1: Uh, people you know, that. we have some pretty good, uh, actors among, you know, NIAC membership, so I'm sure we can help tap somebody. <laughs> okay. Yeah,
2: um, I think, I, I think, sorry, I was just going no, no, to say, go ahead, go ahead. to your point, the, that ambassador Limbert you made earlier, it's, I think if people can treat the novel for what it is, a fictional tale, right? Like it's, it's meant to be, its intention is to, Take these things that have happened, but turn it into something entertaining to, and fun to read. Like that's that's really the objective, while also providing some some nuance in these characters that reveal things about these these politics and this history and this culture. And I think to that, to, it's it's really accomplished that you know you you talk about the sensitivities to Iranian culture, and there were. Times in reading it, the descriptions of Tehran, you know, the something as simple as reading, you know, the the box of Don Marquis, like the the Denmark yeah. uh, pastries. And do, do you remember the, that? Pla- do you remember that place? Absolutely. And so that's why it, I identified with so much of it as I read it, and it really brought out this sort of nostalgia. So I wanted to, and and just the interactions with the families and the conversations. I thought it was very. It was not just a clear effort, but a success in showing showing the intricacies of that culture and really describing a sort of nostalgic picture for someone who has visited Tehran and is familiar with it. Yes, it was very, very familiar. It didn't feel like you were reading something... You know, it felt like you were reading something that clearly someone who was familiar with it was writing and almost not writing it from an outside perspective.
1: I mean, so what I'll add is that I think the nostalgia it brought up, because I'm I'm in D.C. and I've lived here for five years. You know, descriptions of Georgetown and M Street to me were as nostalgic as the descriptions of, you know, the Kebabies in Tehran. And so, you know, I think both of both the authors, I mean, you and Master Grossman really, truly handled this with a lot of love and care. And I think it really, really comes across.
0: You notice there's a lot about food in there too.
2: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which yes. is very appropriate for the culture. That's why. That's right. I was like, oh, right. there's, there's got to be a lot of food in there. That's and you know, right. actually now um, thinking about it, I didn't think about it when I was reading it. The fact that there's two authors that are, that are writing this and you would think that there's two voices, but that's actually a testament to how well um, your two voices were fused. That I didn't, it didn't even occur to me in reading it, that this is a co-authored novel. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. No, so no. I, you, you can read, for example, uh, uh, the book that uh, Bill Clinton co-authored with uh, James Patterson a few years ago. And it's very clear who wrote what, uh, 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 who wrote what. First of all, Bill Clinton is a much better writer than his co-author. <laughs> 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 uh, no, again, we had one of the things we did, um, Deliberately is and and was cut down a lot of the political descriptions. You know, the, mm-hmm. so the earlier versions had a lot more describing um, uh, the, describing the politics uh, of post-revolutionary or uh, post-revolutionary Iran, where you have all these competing, where you have these competing groups, you know, competing for groups, competing for power, um, and. Uh, very early on we decided no this is too this is this is not this is not belonging in a novel you know and and so we we cut down i think we probably cut some of these descriptions by like about 80% uh,
1: <laughs> i have one last kind of burning question that might be a little bit silly but did you ever watch argo
0: of course
1: what of, did you think
0: uh, well argo was a hist- you know it was like our book it's historical fiction Based on real events. Now the real Argo, the book that uh, Tony Mendez, the late Tony Mendez wrote, that's nonfiction. I mean, that's, Mm. that was an account of what happened. Uh, But it was lousy Hollywood.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, like you said, they've got to make it sell, right?
0: That's right. I mean, you, you know, we're not, look, we're not going to get rich on this book. I, I mean, unless lightning strikes somehow, unless lightning strikes somehow. But uh, we're, we're not. Somebody said, if you're going to be a writer, keep, keep your day job, is what they advised us. To uh, uh, that's,
1: that's totally valid.
0: But, uh, uh, no, I saw, I, saw, uh, uh, I saw Argo, and I was think, you know, thinking about it because they constructed scenes in there that never happened, like that whole business at the airport. Well, maybe that insp- I don't know if Argo inspired the scene where we put Niloufar at the airport during the escape of those uh, Canadian Six
2: mm-hmm.
0: of the Six. Mm. We have her there. We, we, we have her located there. Was that inspired by Argo? I'm not sure. Uh, uh, I'm not sure, but I liked Argo because it was a great story. You know, the, the movie it was a great story. You, know how it, you knew how it ended. You knew fair how. Enough. It it was was still, fair enough. But it, 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 it was still exciting. And the characters, the Hollywood characters, uh, particularly Alan Arkin, I thought in that were just wonderful. Yeah.
2: It's, well, go ahead. Sorry. Sorry my last comment was just going to be, it's funny that you brought up like a Hollywood version, because as I was reading this, I don't know if you know the show The Americans, which mm-hmm. is basically about two Soviet spies who pose as an American couple and American family. And in my mind, as I was reading this, I just kept thinking, oh my God, this is like the Iranians. (laughs) Make an entire show out of this novel and the reverse placement of Iranian Americans in Iran, posing as like Iranians from Iran.
0: Oh, they were wonderful. Oh, they were wonderful. That that was a wonderful show. Yeah, Yeah. I agree. I I love that. Uh, uh, I love that. Uh, You know, again, did that? I, I, did that come from a novel originally, like, or something? I actually don't
2: know if it came from a novel. Who
0: actually, or was it original? Uh, uh, you know, an original screenplay. I'm not sure. Uh, I, I'm not sure, but uh, some of you know some. Uh, well, the other one, Homeland. Mm, came, that's right. That came from, I think, an Israeli uh, TV series. Yeah, that was based on the Israeli a, TV series. As, a, as an Israeli TV series, and then got transferred into U.S. So uh, anyway, uh, uh, anyway, think about who should play who should play Porter and who should play Nilufa. Uh, <laughs> uh, Nilufa. Uh,
1: mm-hmm. All right. So hopefully, that's that's a 2021 movie that we're all going to be catching. We'll do some sort of screening. <laughs> well, Ambassador Limber, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, if there's, Is there anything else you want to tell us about the book or any messages to our listeners?
0: I would say only uh, enjoy the book. You know, I hope you enjoy reading the book as much as um, uh, my co-author and I enjoyed writing it. We had a good time writing it. Uh, the first reactions from friend, friends are either uh, doing a lot of taruf, or there be, but they've been very nice, and we've been very, very gratified. Because you don't know, you don't know when you write something like this. We're neither of us are um, experienced novelists. This is a first for both of us. Uh, a uh, uh, first for both of us. So you don't know if it's is this complete dreck or is it, you know, is it is it worthwhile? So the the your the reactions I've ha- we've had so far have been very positive and very gratifying. But do remember, please, um, it is a work of fiction. <laughs> and that's,
1: that's really fair
0: it is a work of fiction um it you know the 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 incidents many of the incidents most of the incidents in here did not happen as they were uh, as they were written now having said it's work of fiction you obviously will recognize many of the people uh, many of the people in it. Uh, some by their real names, and some by other name. Uh, 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 some some going by other names. But remember, uh, uh, it's fiction, and in a way, that's for a historian. That's refreshing to be able mm-hmm. to write fiction because you don't have to worry about you know no footnotes. Uh, and you don't have to worry. You know, did, is it this day? Did it happen on this day, or did it happen on that day? And did, did X do this, or did Y do that? And what did they say? What did they What did they say? And if somebody says, "Well, you got this wrong," I said, "This is fiction." Doesn't matter.
1: <laughs> I like that. That's a good cover all for everything. Um, well, thank you again for joining us, Ambassador Limbert. Uh, we will make sure to put a link to publish the book believers in the podcast description and we look forward to master limbert having you back on and also uh we'd love to hear from all of you who have read the book and uh, if you have anything to say please feel free to shoot an email over to NIAC uh and uh we will catch you next time
0: i would very much like to see comments particularly you know, get- uh, comments particularly from uh, uh, Iranian fr- uh, Iranian friends I mean their reaction to the book I think is is very important it's, it, it's very important and I very much look forward to seeing those comments
1: so send those comments everybody to podcast at niacouncil.org. and pastorlimberg will make sure to forward those on to you as well
0: please do please do.
1: All right. Thank you,
2: everybody. Take care. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us, Ambassador Lumbert.
1: Thank
0: you, Asal. Thank you, Manab. Nice talking to both of
2: you. Take care. Bye.
0: Bye Bye-bye.